This afternoon, just before 4 p.m., a federal judge unsealed the warrant that was used to search the home of former President Donald Trump. What was in the search warrant was pretty eye-opening. The FBI agents who went to Mar-a-Lago on Monday were looking for evidence of crimes, which included violating the part of the Espionage Act about the destruction or concealment of government records. We also now know that the FBI seized four sets of top-secret documents. They also found seven other sets of less-secret but still-classified information. The inventory noted some weird details. For example, the documents included information about the president of France. But the list of items taken did not go into detail. So now we are left with the question, what else was in those documents? From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Friday, August 12th. Earlier today, before the judge unsealed the search warrant, we spoke to national security reporter Shane Harris. He and a team of reporters at The Post broke some news Thursday night that gives us an insight into what else the FBI might have found at Mar-a-Lago. According to The Post reporting, agents were looking in part for documents regarding nuclear weapons. That fact obviously has pretty significant national security implications. So we dove into that with Shane, what these nuclear documents could be, and why the Department of Justice was so worried. We don't know if these are about U.S. nuclear weapons or some other countries, but this category of information would be among the most highly classified in the government. It would be among the most highly protected in the government. And the apparent fact that it was sitting relatively unsecured at Mar-a-Lago appears to have been something that was tremendously concerning to the FBI. Shane, I hear you say documents about nuclear weapons. I mean, what does that mean? Like, are we talking about nuclear codes here, potentially? I don't think we're talking about nuclear codes, no. And that's a really important thing to stress here. There's no indication, and and nor can I imagine a scenario in which the former president would have taken away information that would allow him some kind of access to nuclear weapons to, to, to launch them or anything like that. Now, we should caveat by saying we don't know what the information is, but if it was important enough that the FBI felt that they had to serve a search warrant on Mar-a-Lago to get the information back after having tried unsuccessfully through other means, including a subpoena, I think that's a pretty good indication that the people who were conducting this search felt that this information was extremely sensitive and needed to be essentially clawed back from the president. So, Shane, I want to take a moment to go back and talk through how events unfolded this week, because so many of us had heard on Monday night when there had been this raid on Mar-a-Lago, and at that point, we didn't really know what it was about. So what happened after that, and how did this continue to develop? Well, we had this dramatic revelation, right, on Monday that the former president's house had been raided by the FBI. That's not something we're accustomed to seeing. I I don't think there has been an instance of a former president being uh, searched by the FBI in this way. You immediately saw former President Trump decrying this, saying the Democrats had broken into his home, that they'd broken into his safe. And he portrayed this as 
a kind of politically motivated lawless action for which there was no justification. And Republicans immediately jumped to the president's defense and were echoing these same talking points and and moving very quickly to cast this law enforcement action as something that was a kind of you know, political hit job by the Biden administration somehow meant to undermine Donald Trump or keep him from running from office or, you know, kind of take your pick of motivations. Mm -hmm. So there was this incredible political tension, which was not surprising. I mean, this is a president, after all, who, you know, fired an FBI director when he was in office because he didn't want to be investigated by him. And all the while, we as reporters and people in Washington and people all around the country are wondering what in the world would have driven the Justice Department and the FBI to take this extraordinary step, knowing full well they could have anticipated that they would ignite uh, a political explosion like this. Totally. And so we're all digging into trying to figure out what exactly is it that the FBI was looking for at Mar-a-Lago? What did they want? Why was it important enough to take this action of searching the president? And then on Thursday, Merrick Garland, the attorney general, decided to hold a press conference. Good afternoon. Since I became Attorney General, I have made clear that the Department of Justice will speak through its court filings and its work. Just now, the Justice Department has filed a motion in the Southern District of Florida to unseal a search warrant and property receipt relating to a court-approved search that the FBI conducted earlier this week. It was very unusual to, to, for the attorney general to come out, and you would be forgiven if you were having flashbacks to 2016 when the FBI director, James Comey, came out and gave a press conference about the investigation into Hillary Clinton's email server. So when Merrick Garland announced that he was going to speak, we didn't have a lot of anticipation that he was going to say, you know, for instance, and here's the document that we found, or here's a copy of the warrant. But we did think that he would try and both defend the actions of the FBI, which he did, as lawful and not politically motivated. Let me address recent unfounded attacks on the professionalism of the FBI and Justice Department agents and prosecutors. I will not stand by silently when their integrity is unfairly attacked. The men and women of the FBI and the Justice Department are dedicated, patriotic public servants. Every day, they protect the American people from violent crime, terrorism, and other threats to their safety while safeguarding our civil rights. And then we knew he would have to say something about the search and about the, and about the warrant. He confirmed that he had personally authorized the search at Mar-a-Lago, which did not come as a surprise to those of us covering it because we assumed that either he or his deputy, Lisa Monaco, would have had to sign off on an action this extraordinary. First, I personally approved the decision to seek a search warrant in this matter. Second, the department does not take such a decision lightly. Where possible, it is standard practice to seek less intrusive means as an alternative to a search and to narrowly scope any search that is undertaken. This is not something that would have been done without the knowledge or approval of the attorney general. And then he did something else really remarkable, which was to say, we have filed a motion in court to unseal a copy of the search warrant, essentially mm -hmm. saying, we want to show the American people, and they say this in their filing, that there's a public interest in showing the American people what we were up to and why we did this. This is all I can say right now. More information will be made available in the appropriate way, 
and at the appropriate time. And, and why do you think he decided to do that? Why do you think that he felt it was so important to make that search warrant public? I think that to a degree, this is Merrick Garland trying to bolster the integrity of this investigation and try to persuade Americans, look, this is not politically motivated. We have reason to believe that something bad happened here. Perhaps a crime was committed. And we're going to show you the paperwork, essentially. After the break, we'll hear more about the news that broke following Merrick Garland's press conference and how Shane and our colleagues uncovered it. We'll be right back. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. So, Shane, what can you tell us about how you and other reporters at The Post were able to find this information about the fact that these were nuclear documents that law enforcement officials were looking for? Well, there's not a lot that I can say about our sourcing. But what I can say is, you know, like all reporters who have been covering this story— As soon as the FBI conducted that search on Monday, we immediately wanted to know what were they looking for? What did they find? What prompted them to take this extraordinary measure? So we all began asking all of our sources, do you have any idea what it was they were looking for? What was the nature of the information? And from just sort of, you know, kind of relentlessly asking questions for several days, um, you know, we arrived at this answer that they were looking for, at least among other items, uh, information relating to nuclear weapons. And you described a little bit about what that information or what those documents could entail. But can you paint more of a picture of why they could be a problem, like how those documents could be used either by Trump or other people who might be able to have access to these documents? Let's assume for the sake of argument that the information is about U.S. nuclear weapons or U.S. nuclear weapons development. An adversary could potentially use that information to understand the nature and design of the weapons that the United States has and then take steps to try and counter them or to defend against them. And that would be damaging to U.S. national security because, you know, a lot of the strength of the strategic power of nuclear weapons, you know, depends upon your adversary not being able to defeat them or to counter them. Hmm. For instance, submarines, U.S. submarines that are armed with nuclear missiles, their location is one of the most closely guarded secrets in the military because if an adversary knows where the nuclear submarine is, it could take steps to attack the submarine and neutralize it, and then you don't have your nuclear weapons anymore. So if there is new technological design information in some of these documents, they would want to keep that a secret as well because potentially they don't want to instruct other countries on how to design nuclear weapons. If it's another country's nuclear arsenal, that may be something that the U.S. knows about an adversary's systems that it doesn't want the adversary to know it knows. There's an advantage in having that information and your adversary not knowing you have it. 
Another kind of, you know, counterintuitive point of this, too, I was, I was speaking to a former intelligence official about this who said, look, if we know something about, say, a weakness in the nuclear arsenal of another country or a flaw in their command and control systems, we don't publicize that information because if it gets out, that country might think that we are trying to threaten them, that we are trying to change the balance of power that exists in the world, where suddenly now we're exposing something about a weakness in their program. So that's another reason you might keep something secret. Mm. Uh, but th- we're really talking about, you know, the most powerful weapons, some of the most sensitive technology, really high-stakes geopolitics when it comes to strategic nuclear arsenals. Lots of reasons why a government would want to keep that secret because of the advantage it can give to your adversary. So how worried should we be that the FBI and the Department of Justice are worried about this? I mean, I assume that they're looking at whether criminal activity happened, but is there a real pressing national security risk for us now that, like, we as average Americans are less safe if this were the case? I don't think we know how worried we should be as as Americans about this information being at Mar-a-Lago. You know, the FBI was concerned enough to launch a raid, but they did try to get this information back through less aggressive means, through a subpoena, for instance, in June, which is kind of like the nice way of asking. It's saying, you know, to someone, hey, listen, we know you have this information. You need to go get it and hand it back to us. So it it, it doesn't seem that there was a kind of urgency attached to this that they felt that they needed to, you know, immediately once they knew the document was there, rushing and go get it. At the same time, you know, there's a lot in the process of we don't know precisely when they knew what they were looking for, et cetera. So I want to be careful that I don't, you know, attribute a sense of urgency or calm to the FBI that may not have been there. But the mere fact that the FBI was willing to take this step of conducting a search, a raid, really, of the former president's home to get information back, I think that underscores the level of anxiety that they had about the fact that that information was sitting there and potentially not protected and potentially available to be manipulated Mm -hmm. by anyone who had access to it. So, I mean, you know, on a scale of one to five, I mean, or one to (laughs) ten, I mean, you know, Put it at a five or six for now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I you mean, know. five or six still seems it's, yeah, a little it's, high. It's, it's pretty worrying. And I think, you know, part of the reason that I say that is is it's not because, again, I mean, you know, we're, we, there's still a lot we don't know about this case. But we do know a lot about how Donald Trump handled classified information when he was president. And it is not an overstatement to say that he mishandled classified information when he was president. And some people will object to my Mm -hmm. saying that because he does have the authority, as any president does, to declassify information whenever he wants. But we have to remember this is a president who revealed the nature of intelligence gathering about ISIS to two senior Russian officials in the Oval Office. He tweeted a photo taken from apparently a U.S. satellite of an Iranian launch pad. He talked and bragged openly in ways that made people very nervous about U.S. nuclear weapons capabilities. He just, and and I have been interviewing former officials from his administration who said it was routine that classified information was in the hands of government employees and political appointees who had no reason to have it, who didn't have the proper security clearances to read it. I mean, yes, there are times when presidents mishandle classified information or people in the government do something stupid and take classified information home. But there's a kind of, you know, 
culture uh, of sloppiness and even recklessness, I would argue, in the way that the former president handled classified information. And, and, and some mm-hmm. of that happened in plain view of the public. So what does this mean for Trump? I mean, is your sense that law enforcement officials' attitude here is like, look, we don't want to get you in trouble. We just want to get these documents back however way we can, and then we'll leave you alone. We just like want these documents to be safe. Or do you think that there's a world where they really try to prosecute Trump for things that they may have found at Mar-a-Lago? I will say it feels more like the former, that what they're trying to do, the FBI, is to just get the information back to secure it and get it someplace where it can be safe. We cannot rule out the possibility, however, that the government might bring charges against Donald Trump or others for mishandling classified information. You know, as an example, there have been cases of former, current and former government employees going to prison because they took classified information without authorization from their office and took it home with them. That is essentially kind of what happened here. Now, presidents do have access to their records. They have ongoing access to classified information. The way they're supposed to use that is that it goes and it sits in a vault at the National Archives or perhaps at a presidential library, and then their designees who have the proper security clearances can go and look at the information. They're not supposed to take it home. And while it is the case that while Donald Trump was president, he did have the authority to basically handle classified information however he wanted, that authority evaporates when he's no longer the president. And so it creates this very interesting question of, all right, did he declassify this information or think he declassified it before he took it home? Was it still classified when it was sitting at Mar-a-Lago? Had it been reclassified? I mean, there are so many unusual circumstances here, but I don't think that we can rule out the possibility that somewhere, somebody in the way they handle this information could potentially have committed a crime. And to be clear, when you get a search warrant, as the FBI did, you have to have a probable basis for concluding that a crime may have been committed. And so the search warrant will give us some more insight into what potential crimes and vulnerabilities people Uh, in Trump's orbit, including potentially the former president himself, could face. Shane, thank you so much for all of this. You're welcome. Shane Harris is a national security reporter for The Post. Sabi Robinson produced this story. Today's episode was edited by Maggie Penman and mixed by Veronica Simonetti. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Our executive producer is Maggie Penman. Our supervising senior producer is Raina Flores. Ted Muldoon is our senior producer. Our editor is Lexi Diao. Our producers are Sharla Freeland, Arjun Singh, Jordan Marie Smith, Ariel Plotnik, and Renny Spernovsky. Sabi Robinson and Emma Talkoff are our assistant producers. Sean Carter is our engineer. Our intern is Natalie Bettendorf. The post-director of audio is Renita Jablonski. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. 
So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening.